Hey, everybody. Good morning. Hope you're doing well. We want to welcome you and the inmates at Pueblo County Jail. And, and uh, that, that just never gets old for you, those of you that are new to our church. Uh, we stream our services into Pueblo County Jail. And we send prayer partners in uh, with our services and pray for the inmates. And it, it's amazing what God is, is currently doing uh, and what we'll continue to do. Uh, so this morning, uh, we are starting a brand new series called Fruit of the Spirit. And so I'll, I'll explain those in case you're new to Christianity and you may or may not have ever heard that term and you're like, hey, what's up with these fruit? And so, uh, so we'll explain that to you. So over the next 10 weeks, we're going to walk through Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. It's just two verses. Uh, and we're going to understand the fruit of the Spirit and what does that mean and what does that mean in the Christian life, how to, maybe how to, how, to, how to live that out. And so if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, and, and you like to either click to or turn to, uh, however you get scripture is okay with us, um, is Galatians chapter uh, 5, verse 22 and 23 is where the fruit of the Spirit are, are listed. And then, and then Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, uh, we're going to use it as a commentary this morning on, on the fruit of the Spirit, on the one that we're looking at this morning. And the fact is we're going to take one each week. Other than this week, we're going to take, it's going to take us two weeks to understand this fruit of, of love and, and what does that look like. Really and truly, this, this series is more than just the fruit of the spirits. It, it is, it's hopefully to help you to transform your personality. In other words, to where when you understand how God displays himself through you and in relationships, that it not only does some things for you, but it improves the relationships that you have around you. In other words, it transforms your, your personality. Now listen, if you, if you look at statistics or you read things about vacation and we're in vacation season, they tell us that this last year, 6.4 million people visited the Grand Canyon. And so they, they showed up at the rim right and jumped out of their cars and, and got close to the edge. And they looked at the vastness and the grandeur and the majesty of the Grand Canyon. Uh, they, got, they, got their, they got their selfies right, hopefully without falling over. Some people are having problems with that right now. And so hopefully without falling over. And so they, they get their selfies. They post it on Instagram. They post it on Facebook. They let all of their friends know where they are. And then it's like, and then it's like they're gone. In fact, the statistics tell us this, that not only do six points, 4 million people visit the Grand Canyon every year. You know how long they stay? They stay on average 15 minutes. And it's crazy to think about, right? All the money and the time and the resources and, and the plans that are invested in going and seeing the Grand Canyon. And like they're, they're there for like 15 minutes, just long enough to post it on Instagram or Facebook, let all of their friends know, get their pics, all of those other things. And then, and then they're like gone. I mean, you, there's no way you can take in the vastness or the grandeur, the majesty, or understand the Grand Canyon in like 15 minutes. And so sometimes I wonder, do we do that with God? I sometimes wonder, are we in such a hurry in life to where we kind of show up and, and he's kind of on exhibit. He's not to be experienced, but he's on exhibit. And we kind of look at him and we kind of contemplate some things, but we never truly experience him. We never truly really spend any amount of time with him. See, uh, the Grand Canyon, when you, when you view the Grand Canyon, you can walk about a quarter of a mile down the road, and you come to a trailhead, Angel Bright Trailhead, and you can meet some people there, and they had a totally different experience because that's where you hike into the canyon, and what you pack in, you got to pack out. And so they can, they can talk to you in detail about the personality in the Grand Canyon, what the Grand Canyon is like. See, they had a totally different view of the Grand Canyon because they experienced the Grand Canyon. They didn't just witness or just look at the Grand Canyon. And so my question this morning is, is do we do that with God? 
I mean, have we really experienced him? Because see, what, what Paul tells us in Galatians 5, and 23 is that the, the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in you, the evidence of that you've experienced God are these things called the fruit of the Spirit, these, these attributes, these characteristics that actually come out in your life. And they transform not only your personality, but listen, they can transform the relationships around you. They can change everything about you. So let's read these together and then let's understand them. Like, And then this morning and next week, we're just going to look at the first one, and that is love. And we're going to understand this. So Galatians 5.22 uh, starts off, and well, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. What Paul's saying is the reason against such thing there is no law, because if you live these out, there's no reason for the law. I mean, if you live these things out, there's really no reason. I mean, when you're walking in the spirit and not in the flesh, these things will come out of your life. So just for a working definition of the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is just simply this. It's just like a supernatural power. The Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and as a result of that, that people can see that God dwells within us. In other words, it's us experiencing Him. And so the reason that the Holy Spirit lives in us is so that, that we can create the life of Christ. In other words, this, so that when people look into our life, they can see Jesus in us. Now listen, you may have been around Christianity long enough to know there's something called the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And those are two totally different things. See, the, the fruit of the Spirit uh, recreates the personality of Jesus, uh, what, what, he, what he was and, and, and his personality. But the gifts of the Spirit recreate the ministry of Jesus. In other words, what he did. So you put these two things together, and people are able to, should be able, are able to see in us not only the personality of Jesus, but the ministry of Jesus, not only the things that he did, but, the, but who he was. And so the purpose of the Holy Spirit or the purpose of the, of, of, the, of the fruit of the Spirit is to confirm to us and to others that we walk with Him. And so really and truly over the next 10 weeks, this is a study of holiness. This is a study of what it means to be holy. And so when, when, I, when I read those, those nine characteristics, or really and truly there, there's eight, and I'll understand. I know there's nine listed, but really and truly there's eight. We'll understand that. But when I listed out that list, listen, let me just warn you, that is not like a litmus test that we hold up against a spouse or a friend or someone else to see where they're falling short. That is not what that is there for. Fact is, you, you may be like me, and when I read this list and when I started in this study many weeks ago, as I'm walking through these characteristics, there's some on here that, you know what, I'd say, you know what, I'm doing pretty well at. There's others that I'm like, it caused me to flinch, it caused me to wince, it caused me to kind of go, oh, and it, because I know that there's some on this list that I need to work on. And so maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like me that as I read that list, there's a couple on here or a few on here that all of a sudden cause you to pull back and say, you know what, that's an area that I need to work on. I, I just want to remind you this morning that we're on a spiritual journey together. And so it's a spiritual walk, and it's a, it's a maturing process. The Holy Spirit is the one that matures us. And, and so growth, listen, growth is a process. Um, I'm, I'm not a plant person um, my wife is. I mean, we have like tons of plants in our backyard and planters and stuff. And, and so, you know what I am? I'm a plant hauler. That's what I am. I just realized. I, I just move the plants around, right? Especially when a freeze is coming, it's insane what goes on in our house. And so, uh, and so I'm a plant mover. I'm a plant hauler. But, but she actually has a green thumb. And so here, here's what I know about watching her with that. 
that, that with plants, growth is just is a process, right? And so you can't, you can't take water and like dump massive amounts of water and massive amount of fertilizer on that plant all at once and then like speed up the process. Why? Because it, it's a process. I mean, it's a process of water and shade and sun and fertilizer and all of those other things. And so we can't speed up the process, really. And the same is true in, in the Christian life. That, that when you look at this, this, this is... <coughs> we are growing in Christ together. And we're on the spiritual journey. Now listen, you're probably not even aware of this. There's theologians argue over stuff that does not matter to us, right? I mean, I mean sometimes when you hear their arguments, you can't even believe they're arguing. Like, why argue over this? And so theologians, and I think, that, I think this one's important for us to discuss. And so theologians for years, and they haven't settled this, they argue constantly over the fruit of the Spirit. Is there one or is there nine? I mean, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Is there one or is there nine? And, and, um, and so some say most, some say there's like nine, some say very few, there's like one. And so I, I'm going to give you my, my personal opinion, but let, let's just read this together and see if we can't see it in Scripture. Now the, now, the translation that I preach out of is the ESV, which is word-for-word translation, word-for-word from Greek to English or Hebrew or Aramaic, whatever the text was written in, what's Old Testament, New Testament. And so it's word for word. And so that's why a lot of times when I read out of the ESV, sometimes it just doesn't read well. Uh, and that, that, that is why. And so, so watch this, verse 22. Let's just see if we can't understand this about the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. There it is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. In other words, just, just from knowing English right, that you, you can see this, this is not plural. This is singular. For the fruit of the Spirit is, that word is, is important. It doesn't say are. The fruit of the Spirit are these things. And the, the, the Scripture says the fruit of the Spirit is. In other words, this, I'm, I, I'm inclined to believe, and I believe there's only one fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then it acts a certain way. It has a certain characteristics. In other words, it acts a certain way in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I am inclined to believe that there's only one fruit of the Spirit is love. And it acts a certain way. And so when you look at this issue of the fruit of the Spirit, then all of a sudden you realize that love is like, love is like the root. Love is like the root of all human behavior. And unfortunately, in, in our world, right, our world doesn't understand love. Have you noticed that? I mean, our, our world does not understand love. In fact, is our world even has a hard time defining out what love is. One of the reasons is this, is that we only, in the English language, we only have one word for love, right? I mean, we only have one word. You go to the Greek language, four different words for love. In other words, in the Greek, when someone used the word love, you knew specifically what they were referring to, but not so in the English language. In the English language, we only have one word for love, right? I mean, I can be at dinner with my wife, and, and, um, and I can look across the table at her and say, you know what? I love you. Five minutes later, I say, I love bean burritos, you know? <laughs> right? I, I love you. I love bean burritos. I love bacon cheeseburgers. I love pizza. I love hot dogs. We all love the Dallas Cowboys, right? Uh, we all love Texans, right? You know? I know now I'm meddling, right? But we love this. We use this word like, like we throw this word love around for like everything. 
I love hamburgers. I love bean burritos. I love you. I love my truck. I love my dog. I love pizza. Oh, I love God. Not so in the Greek language. In the Greek language, whenever they use love, I mean, it was just so specific. I mean, so specifically, four different words in the Greek language for love. There is a, there is a, there's an erotic love that was between male and female. And there's like this friendship love. And, and then, then there's like this deepest form of love, which is agape, which is a sacrificial love that is giving your life for, for that of another. There was a, a family love. In other words, there's this love for family and love for relationships. And so in the Greek language, it's very specific. And so I'm going to use Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21 as a commentary where Paul defines out what love is. Because I think we need to understand this. Because see, not only does our world not understand love, and I think there's so many reasons. One is for the definition, but the other reason is we see so little of it in the world, right? We can turn on the news and we can see a school shooting. We can see a mall shooting. We can see a bombing. We can see things that people do to other people. And all of a sudden, we can come to the place and think, does love even exist? I mean, how can people even do stuff like that? And so here we go. Verse, verse 9, and we're going to pull out four of these this morning. Next week, we're going to finish it up because today we're going to take communion together as a church family. So, so Romans chapter 5, verse 9. He said, Paul, Paul says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Pretty easy list, right? That's why we need God. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. There's nothing easy about that. We can't do that in our own strength. And another reason that I believe that there's one fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, because I, I think that's what, what Jesus taught. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 34, he says, A new command I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, Jesus didn't run through the list of love, joy, love, joy peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Jesus just simply said this, hey, the, one, the umbrella, the one thing is this issue of love. The way people will know that you're a follower of Christ, the way people will know that you're a Christian is not by the denomination that, that you hang your hat on and not by the church that you attend or, or not what you do on Sunday or not what you do in worship and not who you claim. The way that people will know that your mind is, is you have love. And so Jesus says the one, number one characteristic of the believer is this issue of love. And then Paul helps us to understand how, how we demonstrate this, how we, how we live this out. Because really the, the question is, is, is how am I going to do this? How am I going to flesh this out? How am I going to live this out? Now listen, verses 9 through 16 is, is, is love for, for believers. And then 17 through 21 is love for non-believers. And so we're, we're going to understand that in the next couple of weeks. And so I just this morning before we take communion, I just want to give you four things. I want to give you four things as we start out on this journey to understand what love is. And over the next 10 weeks, we're going to unpack this about how to do it. The first one is this, that if you're, if you're, if you're going to love, then the first thing is this, is you have to be genuine. 
You have to, listen, you, you have to come to that place to where you're genuine. In other words, that we, we may say it like this. Uh, we may say, don't, don't wear a mask. In other words, the, the Bible says, let, let your love, let your love be, be sincere. In fact, is in the New American Standard, it says, let your love be without hypocrisy. Now, many of us know, and when we talked about this in our church, that, that a Greek actor of their time was called a hypocrite. And a hypocrite was a Greek actor that, that, that simply was the same person that played multiple roles or mul multiple characters in a play. And so they would simply step, step off stage and get a different mask, maybe a different costume, and come back and they'd wear a different mask and they'd be a, a different type of person. That's where we get our word hypocrite. That's where we get our word like, like falsehood. In other words, what he's saying is real love, listen, real love is genuine. Real love doesn't wear a mask. I mean, it, if you're, if you're going to love people, you've got to learn to be yourself. The problem is, man, if we're honest this morning, the problem is our insecurities. The problem is fear. That, it, that if I'm going to be genuine, if I'm going to take off the mask, if I'm, if, if, if I'm going to tell you what I really think, if I'm going to tell you what I really feel, then the, the fear is that you're going to reject me. The fear is that you're not, you're not going to like me. That's the fear. See, that's what keeps a lot of us, if we're honest, that's what keeps a lot of us being genuine in relationships. That's what keeps a lot of us being honest in relationships because we're, what we're really afraid of, we're really afraid of, of, of rejection. We, we, we've seen this issue, and you, you know this, right? He says, let your love be genuine, but we've seen so much of the opposite of that, right? There's a lot of phony love out there, right? There's a lot of love out there that people say that they love you, but it's kind of, it's kind of a hypocritical love. It's kind of, like, I love you as long as I agree with you. I love you as long as you do the things that I think you should do. I love you as long as I approve of you. But that day comes when I disagree with you. Then guess what? I'm going to remove my friendship. I'm going to remove my love. I'm going to remove all. And that's what pushes a lot of us to that place where we say, you know what? We're just not going to be genuine anymore. Because the day is going to come that they're going to reject me. There's something that goes around Christian circles that, that, that is just kind of weird to me. That you'll, you'll have people that say things, they'll say things like, well, you know what? I don't like that person, but I love them in the Lord. You ever heard that? Then you ever said that? That I don't like them. And so we as Christians, we know we're not supposed to not like someone. We know we're not supposed to hate someone. And so like, like we try to find the Christian loophole. And the Christian loophole is this. Well, you know what? I don't like them. But guess what? I love them in the Lord. You know what that really, may, you know what that really means? I hate their guts. Right? It's like, like how can you divorce your spiritual feelings from your emotional feelings? And so, so this issue of this that we're talking about is this issue of just, just being genuine, just loving genuine, because there, there's so much phony love out there in all different types of circles. I mean, the fact is, if you were to ask me, and, and I know you're not, so I'll ask the question for you. If you were to ask me, what is the worst sin in the Bible? You know what I think it is? It's when Judas betrayed Christ. It's a phony love. Man, Judas was with him in his ministry three and a half years, right? In prayer circles with him, in worship service with him, church services with him. 
Saw him heal people, saw him teach people, saying, you know what, I'm in it with you, I'm, I'm with you, I'm with you, I understand this, I'll go to the cross, all, all of those other things. And then all of a sudden, Judas betrayed Christ with, with a kiss. It's a, it's a, it's a phony love. I mean, true love, man, true love means that you're genuine. True love also means that, you know what? There's times in love you have to stand against some things. So watch this. Paul goes on and he says, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. In other words, there's sometimes you have to, as a Christian, you have to take a stand. You have to take a stand against something that is actually hate or, or something that is actually evil or that is actually wrong. In other words, this love without standards is totally worthless. And the fact is he uses the word to abhor, which means to... To hate, it literally means to draw away. And, and, and why, does, why does love hate evil? Because it hurts people. Man, our, our, our world, right, when they define this love thing out, will tell you that if you, if you truly love, you're not going to hate evil. If you truly love, you basically don't have any standards. If you truly love, you're just going gonna to approve of everything. Scripture says, actually, Scripture says the opposite. That if you truly love, there's some things that you're going to dislike. fact is, there's some things, and we don't like to talk about that character side of God. There's some things that God hated. The fact is, look at the list. He, he gives a list, and one of the lists in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, it says there, there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a, fault a false witness who betrays out lies, breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. In other words, what the scripture says, there, there are seven things that God disagrees with. There are seven things that God despises. There are seven things that, guess what, that we should dislike, that we should despise. Because, because the problem is, it hurts people. And the deeper our relationship with him, we're going to dislike or we're going to hate some of the things that God hates. And so, so Paul puts the two together. He says, abhor what is evil, but hold fast to what is good. One translation, in fact, fact is in the Greek, it says be, to be married to, to be wedded to what is, what is good. In other words, that you and I can come to the place, and I think it's healthy. You and I, if we're going to be genuine, if we're going to be honest, if we're going to be honest Christ followers, we can talk to someone, and we can say, you know what? I don't, I don't believe that's God's plan for you. I don't believe that's God's plan for your life. I don't, believe, I don't believe God would have you do that. But I still accept you. I can accept you without approving of everything that you do. But I still accept you, and I still welcome you into a relationship. I still welcome you into community. And let's walk towards God together. So the first thing is this, be genuine. The second thing is this, be courteous. I mean, it's not only be, being genuine, being honest about your feelings, honest about your emotions. But the second thing is this, is just be courteous. In other words, to be careful of the needs of others, to be aware of the needs of others. Listen, let me just ask you, are you aware of the needs of, of the people around you? Are you aware of the needs of a spouse? Are you aware of the needs of, of a child? And then are you willing to meet those needs? Are you willing to come to this place to where, look, look what he says, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 
In other words, this is really kind of a play on, on Greek words. I, I, I told you there's, there's four different Greek words in, 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 for love. There's a sexual love. There's a godly love. There's a sacrificial love. There's a brotherly love, and there's a family love. And so what Paul does, he combines two words for love, the brotherly love and the family love together when he shows this. And he's showing us it's, it's like a family that understand that, guess what, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we're, we may come from all different types of families. We may come from different backgrounds. We may have different paths. But guess what? We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, that he's put us together, and we're a family. In other words, it means to literally have a family relationship. When you look at this issue of brotherly love, <coughs> it's the ability to live close together with, like, with mutual respect. It means to be tender and, and and loving towards other Christians. And he goes on and he says, outdo one another in, in showing honor. In other words, outdo one another in showing appreciation. Outdo one another in showing affirmation. Um, outdo one another in showing that we care about each other. In other words, it, it's like this. Well, he goes and he says, in showing honor. In other words, it's to where you confirm someone, you compliment someone. When was the last time you complimented someone around you? In your family, in relationships, someone that you work for or, or someone that, that works for you? To where you just told them, you know what? This is what I appreciate about you. This is what I'm thankful for. This is, this is what I, I appreciate that you do for me. And you thank them and you compliment them. The third thing is this. He says, just be contagious. Just be, just be contagious. In other words, be contagious in your spiritual fervor. Be contagious in your spiritual life. Verse 11, he says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. In other words, to be, be contagious, you should live Christianity in such a way that you, that you make Christianity, you make Christianity contagious. In other words, it's not about being an extrovert versus an introvert. This is not a personality thing at all. This is talking about enthusiasm. This is talking about passion. This is talking about being passionate for your relationship with Christ. I mean, have, have you ever been around someone and it seems like they're not passionate about anything? It seems like they, they, they don't have passion or enthusiasm about anything, whether, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a hobby, uh, whether it's a profession, whether it's spiritual life. And I mean, it's like, they've, it's like they've been baptized, you know what, on lemons or something like that. And they just, they do, they do not have any enthusiasm at all. And what Paul is trying to say that, you know what, as a Christian, when you experience God, then you should live a life that is contagious for him, that when people are around you, it should make them want to be a Christ follower. It should make them want to have what you have. In other words, to where, the, well, the word enthusiasm comes from two Greek words, in God. And what he's saying is this, is that when you experience him, that all of a sudden you make Christianity contagious. The way that you love people, you have joy, you have peace, you have patience, you have kindness, you have gentleness, you have faithfulness, and you have self-control. Against such things, there is no law. See, there's a difference in someone that, that just views the Grand Canyon or experiences the Grand Canyon. There is something totally different. See, uh, many years ago, it's an amazing thing. I got, I got invited because someone dropped out, and I got invited to raft through the Grand Canyon for like 10 days. And I mean, for me, it was like, it was like a trip of a lifetime. Uh, I mean, for 10 days, we, we dropped in right at the dam of, of Lake Powell. And then for 10 days, we, we were like in the Grand Canyon. And there, there's like no way out except for helicopter, medevac, or whatever. And you didn't want to do that thing. And so, uh, and so we rafted through. And, and you know what? If you were to sit down and talk to me, I could talk to you about the personality of the Grand Canyon. I can talk to you about the different rapids. I can talk to you what it's like to sleep on the shores under the stars, no tent. 
months. I can talk to you about some of the challenges we have, some of the people I met. I can talk to you the night before that we went into Lava Falls. Lava Falls is, is, is a 40-foot drop from start to finish. It's the, it's the largest dra- uh, drop in whitewater rafting that you can navigate through on a raft. And, and so the night before, and listen, this wasn't a Christian group. Uh, fact is, most of the people on the trip were not Christians. And so uh, that was interesting in itself. And so... Uh, so the night before, the guides got us together and told us about Lava Falls and said if, if anybody's going to lose their life or get pitched out of the raft or whatever, this is where it's going to happen. And so they gave us the, the rules and the regulations and everything. And so then, then about an hour after that conversation, the, the guides came to me and said, hey, uh, uh, the guys want you to do a church service in the morning. <laughs> They've been talking about it. And I'm like, really? These, these guys? Are, really? I mean, most of them haven't been sober the whole time. And so, really? Oh, yeah. They, they, and they, and they, all, want to, they all want to ride in your raft because they feel like that if anybody, <laughs> that your raft will be the only one that will make it. And so, that morning, we got up early and we hiked into what is called Black Canyon. And it's just this, it's, I mean, it's this cavern that we went into. And you know what? We did a church service. We even took communion because they had plenty of wine. And, uh, <laughs> 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 and, and we, went through, we went through Lava Falls. And so I can talk to you in such a way about the Grand Canyon that, you know what? It could make you want to experience that. Ever been around someone? And they are contagious for a hobby. They are contagious for a career. And when they start talking about their hobby, you may think, you know what? I think I'd like to pick that hobby up. That's, uh, that's why Paul says, Paul talks about this issue of that spiritual fervor. And, and he talks about this issue. You, you, can I just tell you, you know how you get that? You know how you get this enthusiasm? It's not only being in God, but it's the issue when Paul says, serve the Lord. You know where you get that? You get that from serving him. And listen, let me tell you something. You may think you serve people in a, in a ministry. You do not serve people. You know who you're serving? You are serving him. You talk to our prayer partners that go into Pueblo County Jail, and when they come out, they, they will talk to you in such a way that it's contagious about what God did in there, what God did in that church. You talk to anybody that's in ministry, that's discipling people, that's serving people, that's working with people, they will talk about it in such a way that they know that, guess what? God has called me to do this. God is doing something in my life. God is you, and there is something powerful about that. Listen, let me tell you something. You, what Paul says, well, let's just read it in Colossians. He unpacks this. He says this. He says, whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what gives us problems in ministry? You know what gives us problems in life is when we think we're serving people. And then when people show us a phony love, when people show us a fake love, when people hurt us, when people betray us, we cash it in because we believed we were serving them. Listen, let me tell you something. You ultimately are serving him. And he's, listen, he's the one that gives a reward. He's the one that gives, because he goes on in Colossians, says, because he's a fair judge. The last thing is this, is just be positive. 
I mean, the last thing is this. He goes in verse 12 and says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. In other words, he comes to this place and he says, you know what? Just be positive. You, you want to stick out. I don't care if it's Christianity or the world. You want to stick out in a church. You want to stick out in, in, in your job. You want to stick out in a neighborhood. Guess what? Just be positive. I don't know if you've noticed there are a lot of discouraged, negative people in the world, right? A lot of people, you know what? They can't see the good in anything. They can't see the positive in anything. And there's a reason that we as Christ followers, when, when you are in God, when you have this enthusiasm, when you know that you are serving him or when you know that you are following him, that what the scripture tells us is this, that there's, a, there's an enthusiasm that comes. And, and we should be the most positive people on the planet because of what he has done what he is continuing to do, and what he will do in the future. That's, that's why Paul says just be joyful in hope and, and be patient in affliction and be, 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 be patient in, in prayer. In other words, there's, there's communion with him. See, we should be the most positive people on earth because it, Scripture says in Christ there is no condemnation in those who love Jesus. Nothing can separate you. From the love of God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We are set free from the fear of death. Even though it doesn't feel like it. When we go through difficult times. He is working all things out for our good. If God can be for us. And if God is for us. Then who can be against us? That's why. That's why we're positive. That's why we're positive. That's why we love the way that we do. One of the greatest displays, pictures of sacrificial love is communion.